Hey there, thanks for tuning in to the St. Oswald's Haberfield Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Sydney's inner west, following Jesus and helping people find grace, learn hope and be light. If you'd like to visit us or find out more, go to cciw.church. Allison, if I haven't met you, I'm one of the pastors here. It's wonderful to be opening God's word with you this morning. Now, today we're thinking about the power of our words. And I have a question to kick us off, and that is, I'm wondering how many of you have ever uh, been in love or had a crush? How many of us here in the room have been the first person to go out on a limb and ask that awkward question? to ask someone on a date or tell someone how you feel. And I would like a show of hands. Have you ever been that person that's like totally exposed yourself and asked the question first? Yeah, fascinating, good job. Well done, everyone. Now, I'm not gonna make you publicly confess anything further than that, although I am curious to know what kinds of words you used. Did you ask, (laughs) will you go out with me? Or were you a little bit more coy? Something like, want to catch up for coffee sometime? Maybe like me, you just kind of went straight to the point in a really bumbling and confused way. I said something like, I think I like you more than I like other people. What do you think about that? (laughs) Now, everyone in this room who's put their hand up will know that speaking words like these have power. Now, for some of us, the words that we spoke had the power to spark the joy of hearing the response that we were hoping for. And for others uh, among us, those words had the power to trigger deep humiliation, hearing the response we were not hoping for. And there might be some of us in the room who have even experienced how those words had the power to completely change our lives. For some people here, those words were the beginning of a relationship, which for better or worse, has lasted well beyond one date and turned two individuals into a couple and changed the course of lives. Words are very powerful. A word can bring humiliation. A word can bring joy. A thoughtless word can hurt. A kind word can restore. Words can change lives. Our words have great power. So, What do we do with this power? How do we wield the power of our words wisely? How do we use this power for good? How do we use our words so that when we're speaking, we speak so that things go well? We speak without hurting one another or humiliating ourselves. Now, today's passage that we're reading from Acts 4 is all about the power of words. And in these particular words we've read today, the Lord has given us a key to answering these questions. What is it that makes words powerful? What is it to use our words well? And so to work through this passage today, we're going to do two things. Firstly, we're just going to go back and read this story together. We're going to read through Acts 4 and trace the themes that tie this account together. And then secondly, we're going to try and find an answer to these questions. What makes words so powerful? How do we use that power for good? Is that a good? Okay, so have your Bible. It would be helpful if you have your Bible open at the passage that we're looking at today, which is Acts 4, starting from verse 5. We're going to see what happens in here, although you will have noticed it begins the next day, 
this account flows on directly from what we read about happening last week. So for some context for people who weren't here last week, um, Angus spoke to us, he shared this story from Acts where um, at this point in the narrative, Jesus has died, he's been resurrected, he's ascended to live with his father in heaven and he sent the spirit to be with his people. And two of Jesus' particular friends, Peter and John, are in the temple one day and they heal a lame man and kind of gets up and dances around the temple. Peter explains to everyone there that this man has been healed because Jesus is resurrected. His resurrection power has healed the man and 5,000 people decide to become Christians that day. And the outcome for Peter and John, well, you can see the outcome in verses 1 to 3 that we didn't read today. The leaders of the, uh, of the temple were much annoyed about Peter proclaiming the resurrection. So they arrest both Peter and John and keep them in jail overnight. And that's where the story picks up that we've read today. This is the next day's events, the trial of Peter and John after they have healed this man in Jesus' name. So we're going to comb through this story. I want you to pay attention to every moment that talks about someone speaking. So first up, we see the two men being brought to stand before the leaders and give an account for their actions the day before. What power, the leaders ask in verse 7, by what power or what name do you do this? And then the Spirit fills Peter with the ability to speak clear and powerful words, which we read him doing from verse 8. Rulers of the people and the elders, if we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who was sick and asked how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. That's what he says. And Peter's clear and powerful words cut straight to the point. First up, he just points to the evidence this dude is healed. And then he declares the power behind this good deed. It's been done in the name of Jesus Christ. Peter has clear and powerful words to say, and his clear and powerful words invoke the most clear and powerful word, which is the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, which is the only name, he says, under heaven by which anyone can be saved. It's very clear. And in response to this clear and powerful word, the leaders say, they say nothing. Have a look at verse 14. Peter is full of confidence to speak, but these leaders have no words. So they quietly confer with one another, but they can't work out how to charge these men with any actual offense. So they call Peter and John back and order them that from now on, these two will also not have any words. They are not allowed to speak. They are not allowed to teach at all in the name of Jesus. They have a clear and powerful word to say, and the leaders are trying to shut down this word through threats of violence and intimidation. Now, at this point in our recap, I just want to pause and sit in this moment for a bit, this order to be silent. Because there'll be people in the room today for whom the experience of being told to stop speaking the name of Jesus feels really relatable. 
Um, I'm one of those people, for me personally, not only was I ordered by my family to not talk about Jesus, I was also asked to not ever associate with Christians. As a young child, my family tolerated the little kid version of my faith, but as I grew older and took Jesus more seriously, we had far more difficult interactions. So as a teenager, I kept my Bible reading private and a secret. I limited my contact with other Christians to just what I could pull off in school hours. I eventually negotiated my way into attending a Sunday service. That was exciting, but under no circumstances could I attend youth group as well. They didn't really want me to make any friends. When I was an adult starting university, I was ordered to not join a Christian club or society. So for the first two decades of my life following Jesus and speaking about Jesus came with this constant threat from my family that doing that would break the family. I would have to break with them, and I would, and I think I did, bring them a bit of shame and embarrassment. Have you ever felt pressure to keep quiet about what you believe? For you, it might not be pressure coming from your family. It might be that you are in a workplace that requires you to remain silent about the things that you believe. It could be your friends, actually. It could be that you have a group of friends who really love you, but that love is kind of conditional on you not ever speaking about Jesus' saving death and resurrection. For some of us in the room, speaking about Jesus can mean losing our friends. It can mean losing our standing. It can mean losing our credibility, or even in the most extreme scenarios, losing our jobs or losing contact with our family. And that is a lot to lose. There is a lot to lose when we speak about Jesus. And fear can be a powerful motivator for us to be silent. Now, if we look back to our text, you can see Peter and John would have been feeling this fear too. Because they stand at this crossroads, they're at this point where from this moment onwards, if they speak about Jesus again, they will be contravening a direct order from these leaders with the power to arrest them. From now on, speaking about Jesus puts them at risk of arrest and possibly execution. Now remember, like we said up top, words have power to change lives. So for Peter and John, from this point onwards, speaking about Jesus will not only bring the kind of life change that can heal and resurrect and make a lame man walk, for these guys, speaking about Jesus will also bring the kind of life change that might land them in prison. Words are very powerful. But Peter and John were not motivated by fear. You can see their response in verse 19. They say, whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. Peter and John will not be intimidated into silence. They can stare down this threat because they know that they are held accountable to a higher and wiser and far more powerful judge, the Lord, the Lord himself who loves, him, loves them. Of course they're going to talk. Peter and John want to talk. They want to talk about the things they have seen and heard. They want to speak and teach the name of Jesus. So they stand fast in the face of opposition. And then from verse 21, 
suddenly the speaking breaks out everywhere, in every direction. It's quite rapid. First, there's an outburst of speech towards God because the crowds start praising God for what they've happened. And then Peter and John, in verse 23, rush back to their friends and they report to them the things that had happened that day. And then next, all of those people, all of those friends, raise their voices together in prayer to God and they speak to him directly about the things that are happening. And then finally, you can see the final verse in our reading today. The place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they all spoke the word of God with boldness. Can you see how this thread runs through every part of our reading? From the beginning to the end, this passage is all about speaking. It's all about the power of words to do amazing things. It's specifically about speaking that most clear and powerful word, which is the name of God, the, the word of God and the name of Jesus. Because this word and his name have the power to heal and restore and save. Yeah? That's, our, that's the recap of the passage. That's what we're looking at today. That's our first task done. Now, our second and only other task really this morning is to spend some time now thinking why this matters. Why are our words so powerful? And how do we use that power well? How do we use our words well? The answer to that is to look a bit more closely together at the prayer that Peter, John, and their friends pray at the end of the passage. So let's turn our eyes there. We're going to have a look from verse 24, it starts. Here's how, they, here's how it breaks down. This is what they do. Um, verse 24, they start up by declaring how the Lord made everything. Then, verse 25 and 26, they remember God's words to them. So in this prayer, they remember from Psalm 2, and they speak those words back to God. The next thing they do verses 27 and 28, is they describe to God what's happened. They're describing to God the things that they've seen and heard and telling God about the things that are on their hearts. And then the final thing that they do in verses 29 and 30 are they give the Lord some requests. They ask God for help. And they ask God for these three things. Firstly, God, take notice of the threats. Secondly, God, give us power to speak your word with boldness. And third, Show more signs and wonders done in your name. Those three things. And just as a side note, I do want to say there is something really beautiful about point three. When they ask God to heal and show more signs and wonders, Jesus' friends have just been threatened with arrest and, you know, all kinds of intimidation. And instead of asking for retribution, instead of asking to, for God to show his power by making their enemies weaker, they ask God for acts of healing. They ask God to bless the community that their enemies are in. They ask God to pour out blessings among the people who are threatening them. Isn't that a really cool thing to do? It's a bold and beautiful request and a bold and beautiful prayer. Now, it might not be immediately clear to us, but this prayer is a window into why words are powerful and how we use that power for good. Words are powerful and speaking is powerful because this prayer is showing us speaking is essential to who God is. Now, as this prayer alludes to from verse 24, human beings, before human beings existed, God was speaking because the earliest words in the Bible, which tell us how the universe was made, tell us that God spoke the universe into existence. 
So in this prayer, when Jesus' friends are praising God for creating everything, they are praising God as the speaking God. God is a speaking God who created everything through his word. And then once humans existed, God kept on speaking to them. God appointed prophets and priests and most significantly a Messiah to speak to his people by his Holy Spirit. That's what they're talking about in verses 25 and 26. In this prayer, when Jesus' friends praise God for speaking through King David, they're praising God as the speaking God. God is a speaking God. He reveals who he is to human beings through his Holy Spirit and through his word. See, words are powerful. Speaking is powerful because speaking is essential to who God is. God's words founded the universe. And because speaking is essential to who God is, it is also essential to who he has made us to be. It's no wonder that words have power to change lives, whether that's someone saying, do we get a cup of coffee sometime? Or whether that's God saying, let there be light. Words have power. God made the universe that way. And God's word has the most power of all. And now, kind of like the person who asks a friend out for coffee, when it comes to God and his relationship to humanity, God is the one who goes out on a limb and does the awkward thing, makes the first move. God is the one who speaks first. He utters words that thoroughly change people's lives for the better. There are a number of ways he does that. Uh, Firstly, he speaks to us through this word through these words that are a record of all of the things that God has said and done to show his steadfast love to us. These words bear witness to the things that Peter and John had seen and heard. These are the things that they couldn't stop talking about. We, we have them here written down. But even more foundationally than this, God speaks to us through the word, through his son, Jesus Christ, the person whom John calls elsewhere in the Bible, the word. God speaks to us through the word, his son, through Jesus the Messiah, through that only name under heaven by which anyone can be saved. And the other very important way that God is speaking is through his spirit. Now, I'm going to get a bit language nerdy, but you handled that right. Yes, let's go. We're going to go a bit deeper and nerdy here to help us better understand the work of the spirit in this particular passage of the Bible. God speaks to us by his spirit which in the original Greek um, is the word uh, pneuma or pnevma. Um, It's a really weird word, pnevma. Today in Greek, this word, just like in English, has lots of different meanings. So pnevma or spirit can mean ghost. It's like what we think about when we think about a spirit. It can also mean vivacity. It can mean being spirited in the sense of being witty or funny. Our language does that too, right? This word means lots of things. And then historically, the word also meant other things. Not so much in modern Greek anymore. The uses has changed, but in the olden days, this word also meant air. It meant wind. It meant breath. It's where we got our English word pneumatic or full of air. The word for spirit, pnevma, can mean spirit, and it can mean liveliness, and it can mean wind, and it can mean breathing. Now, throughout the Bible, in both Hebrew and Greek, because this actually works in 
that weird translation thing is happening in every language. This word means all of these things. And so authors through the Bible had lots of fun making lots of puns about the word spirit. Lots of puns about wind, lots of puns about breathing. Like you might know this one from John. The wind blows where it chooses. And so it is with the spirit. Or in the book of Job. The spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives me life. It's the same word, right? They're just making a pun. Or even just a few chapters ago in Acts, when we heard the story about the house being filled with a violent wind as the people were being filled with the Holy Spirit. Wind and spirit and breath, it's all the same word. And here in this prayer, that double meaning is going on again. Because Jesus' friends asked God to be able to speak with all boldness. And God answers their prayer by filling them with the Holy Spirit, with holy breath. Now, speech and breath are intertwined. You know this, you can't speak without breathing. I would like you all to have a go at that right now. You need to turn to the person near you. I want you to say, hello, my name is, and then say your name. But you need to say that sentence without any air, without any breath, no pnevma coming out of your mouth. Can you do it? Have a go. <laughs> Could anyone do it? I mean, I can't get hello out, but can anyone get their name out without breathing? Yeah, no, nah, it's really hard to do. <laughs> We can't actually speak at all without breathing. It's impossible. We need our breath. We need this air, this spirit within us to speak. And so whether or not we're actually asking the Holy Spirit for help with our speech, whether or not we're asking the Holy Spirit to make us bold to speak or not, the reality is he is already the one who is enabling us to speak in the first place. He formed us and put breath in us, and he's the one who empowers our words actually whether we acknowledge it or not. So is it any wonder that our words have power? God has woven the power of words into the fabric of the universe, into what it means to be a human. This is key to understanding how to wield our powerful words well. We need to understand that our words just have power because that's how God made them. And there is a way to wield that power poorly. Everybody knows that. There is a way to wield our words to cause harm and hurt or to intimidate others. And this is what happens when we push God to the side, when we forget that words come from God, when we forget that speech is only possible because of God's spirit. With God out of the picture, we opt to use power, to wield power in the way that suits us best. I have seen it happen even in my own life. This is humiliating to admit, but um, at my worst, I've seen times when my words harm my children. Uh, One of the ways it happens, I feel a lot of stress and tension, and I know that there's a release that I can feel if I yell really loudly. And so, you know, there have been days when my self-control is poor, and when I feel stressed around my children, it's not that hard to do. 
And so I go for that release. I've properly bellowed at my kids. I have bellowed at them and seen terror in their eyes. And I can say objectively that is not how God wants me to use the power of my words. When I, when we use power like that, straying away from God's ways, we end up choosing how to speak or yell purely based on whether or not it makes us feel better. And that does have the power to change lives around us, but not usually for good. However, there is a way to wield our power. We wield the power of our words well. And the key to doing this, the key to good power from our words is to remember where words come from. Words come from God. And so to wield the power of words well, we must let our speech be guided by him. Now, of course, this includes in all of our speech, speaking in a way that is gracious and patient, kind and wise, just like God. But even more specifically than that, it means putting God's actual words on our lips. Because, brothers and sisters, this is the final thought for this morning, as we consider the power of words, we must remember that God uses this power God uses the power of words to create out of nothing and to restore things that are broken. God's words are next level compared to ours. He can use his words to call into existence things that never existed before, like healthy leg muscles on a lame man who has never had any muscles there at all, or like a new life being resurrected out of the grave. Speaking God's way creates life. Speaking God's way heals what is broken. Speaking God's way multiplies the good. These things happen when we speak like God and when we share God's words. And this is why, even when the people around us tell us not to do it, this is why we find any way that we can to speak God's word today here in the inner west because people in this place need to know God's resurrection power. I imagine the joy that my beaten down, burnt out friend will feel when she finally realizes that God can heal what is broken. Imagine the joy when your exhausted, aging neighbor finally realizes how God can create new life, even in the face of death. People in this place need to know God's resurrection power, and they know it when we speak about it. When we speak about who Jesus is and the things he has done, that's us going out on a limb. We're doing something life-changing with our words, but it's not just to confess our love for someone or ask someone out for a coffee. It's to express a deeper love for them and a joy in what Jesus has done. It's an act of trusting that God's spirit is using our words, our breath, to multiply the life that he is giving, to multiply his life-giving work. Brothers and sisters, our words have power to change lives. And when we are bold enough to speak God's word, we find ourselves speaking words that can heal what is broken and create new life. So speak up, friends. Let's speak what we have seen and heard, and let's see God's life and healing multiply in the lives around us. Will you pray with me? Sovereign Lord, 
You made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them. You create, you sustain, you heal, and you restore everything, absolutely everything through your powerful word and the name of Jesus alone. So grant to us, your servants, to speak your word with all boldness and stretch out your hand to heal and restore and recreate through the name of your holy servant and our risen Lord Jesus. Amen. <laughs>